So usually on the Tuesday night before Thanksgiving, I, I give the, what I call the Thanksgiving talk. <laughs> but I didn't want to just give a, uh, a typical Thanksgiving talk this evening. Uh, thought I would noodle a little bit about, or just wander around a little bit uh, around Thanksgiving. But I, as I was thinking about Thanksgiving tonight, I was remembering a line that I've shared recently or paraphrased with you from Zen Master Dogen. Uh, and in that passage he said, uh, to study the Buddha Dharma, to study the Dharma is to study the self. And to study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened by all things. And to me, Thanksgiving is that day that we are, uh, or that moment, every moment really, where we are awakened by all things. We really take, take to heart, take, take in everything, uh, unfiltered through the lens of what it means about me or... Uh, unfiltered, really completely open. To me, openness to life, having our mind completely unfurled, not bound up in uh, our imagination, the past or the future, is in itself an act of giving thanks. Uh, give, uh, it's an act of, of gratitude in itself. Uh, on most Thanksgiving, I share the passage from Thoreau, that um, where he says, I'm grateful for what I am and what I have. My thanksgiving is perpetual. It's surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, only a sense of existence. Oh, how I laugh at my vague, indefinite riches for no run on my bank can drain it, for my wealth is not possession, but enjoyment of being. So in order to really touch into that sense of being, that sense of thank, gratitude for our existence, we need to um, forget the self. We need to simply open our senses wide. And as I was saying in the instructions this evening, you don't need to be somebody, an idea of somebody, to be aware, to be present. In fact, so much of our activity of our somebodyness is trying to prevent life from really getting in, trying to block out what's what is what is. Uh, full in our lives, which is full of feeling, full of dissatisfaction, full of a lot of things. But in, in, uh, in our habits of mind, we, we block our life. An enormous amount of energy is spent keeping life out, keeping gratitude out being caught in the world of the, of the hungry ghost, of, the, of the, the wanting mind, of desire. Today, 
um, my wife, my partner, was having a conversation with our daughter Molly. I've been this is Molly month. I've been speaking about Molly on Tuesday night. Well, Molly is home from school this week, and it is a little bit of a custom that when Molly is not in school that she gets to watch a little uh, a few more movies a little more television which in her Waldorf education Waldorf inspired education is a no-no they want the they want the kids to develop this immediacy this sense of uh, of openness to everything, to the whole creative process, to the whole emotional process, to be connected to nature. And that many studies have been done that, that suggest that the dementia, the, whatever happens when they, it deadens a, a whole process. It actually, it actually retards the process of creative development and brain development and cognitive development and all kinds of things when uh, the kids watch uh, TV, really any TV, but especially excessive TV. But nevertheless, during the, during the uh, vacation weeks, a little more TV is in order, a few movies, and a little more time on the iPad creating things, so that's partly creative. But, um, but we've really been trying to toe the line a bit, little bit uh, to um, really support her development in the best possible way that we can. So we told her that she couldn't, uh, we would maybe watch a movie tomorrow night, uh, thanks, the night before Thanksgiving, but she'd really have to, have to really just make things, do whatever she does, be creative, not just depend on checking out. And she said, well when, I, uh, well, when I get bored and don't have anything to do, I get sad. So every time she has moved, probably, and every time any of us have moved um, into the world of distraction, keeping life out, avoiding the, the feelings of sad, which seems so innocent, nobody wants to feel sad, but that very movement deadens life, prevents her, prevents all of us from being able to use our life as it's presenting ourselves as our path, to be awakened by all things. So my wife spoke to her a little bit and said, well, well what does sad feel like? And she sat for a moment and she felt sad. And because she knew the TV wasn't coming, so let's just feel sad. And lo and behold, when she allowed herself to be awakened by all things, the sad flowed away. She felt a lot better. And the TV didn't happen. And the, the complaining stopped, the whining stopped, the, the need for anything to be different than the way it is. 
And now this is Thanksgiving, that time where we take in life, we draw our attention with great love and appreciation to uh, things, to, to our life, our existence, to the things that we're grateful for, for, for our loved ones, for our good fortune. Of course, the tradition of Thanksgiving was, the, was thankfulness for the, for the good harvest. And so it's a reminder to be thankful for nature and the bountiful nature and everything it provides for us. But it's turned into a wider uh, time of giving thanks and family, loved ones getting together, sharing meals. And it's expanded beyond just sharing meals. It's become the obsession with pumpkin pie, pecan pie. And I'll guarantee you that that a, a huge portion of the fantasy of Thanksgiving leaps right over the people and right to dessert. But that's all just part of we, we all laugh, we can laugh at ourselves because we're we're all hungry ghosts. We're all looking for the next pleasurable moment. But this is a, but Thanksgiving is a day for for thanks for for. Um, at least for a moment, being contented with what we have. But isn't it interesting how short-lived that is? The very next day is what? Black Friday. Of course, Black Friday originally, I, I did a little research on Black Friday because I never knew, how did they get the name Black Friday? And first it was actually the the police in Philadelphia complaining about uh, the, the traffic and the, the wild pedestrians on the day after Thanksgiving, which is the beginning of Christmas shopping. And they were, people were jaywalking and, they, and to them it wasn't a, the beginning of the Christmas shopping season, it was Black Friday. But then it turned into, evolved into Black Friday, the first day of the year that the retailers move into profit from, from loss. And because they, they make so many sales, they, they operate at a loss most of the year until Black Friday, where they, and they go into the black. But for most people, it is the beginning of, to me, Black Friday is, is going right back in to the feeding frenzy of the misplaced faith that people put in satisfying our desire for uh, sense pleasures. That where we re-enter into that black loop of samsara, that, that mistaken view, that buying the next thing, and the secret is, a lot of the people that are shopping on Black Friday aren't buying their Christmas presents. They're buying their next, their next iPhone, iPad, whatever, whatever it is, car, whatever it is. But entering very unconsciously, this is the brilliance of our modern culture, and it's, as Sogyal Rinpoche says, if I can find it, and it's, it's brilliant selling of samsara, and it's, bare, as he says, and it's barren distractions. Oh, I hope I can find it. It would be really a treat if I could. Yes. 
As Sogil puts it, sometimes I think that the greatest achievement of modern culture is its brilliant selling of samsara and its barren distractions. Modern society seems to me a celebration of all the things that lead away from the truth, make truth hard to live for, and discourage people from even believing that it exists. And to think that all this springs from a civilization that claims to adore life, but actually starves it of any real meaning, that endlessly speaks of making people happy, but in fact blocks their way to the source of real joy. This modern samsara feeds off an anxiety and depression that it fosters and trains us all in, carefully nurtures with a consumer machine that needs to keep us greedy to keep going. Samsara is highly organized, versatile, sophisticated. It assaults us from every angle with its propaganda and creates an almost impregnable environment of addiction around us. The more we try to escape, the more we seem to fall into the traps it's so ingenious at setting for us. As one Tibetan Lama put it, mesmerized by the sheer variety of perceptions, beings wander endlessly astray in samsara's vicious cycle. Obsessed then with false hopes, dreams, and ambitions which promise happiness but lead only to misery. We're like people crawling through an endless desert, dying of thirst. And all that samsara holds holds out to us to drink is a cup of salt water designed to make us thirstier. So Black Friday is the, is the uh, beginning of delusion. Now we don't have to view it that way. We can view Black Friday as, and we can take delight in people having fun and, you know, some of it is, is some entertainment is really, all entertainment is enjoyable. Uh, and we can feel compassion toward those who are, who are caught in the frenzy of it and, and uh, suffering around it. And those who see through it, we can, it can just be divine play. It's all just a, it's a dance. It's, it's all empty, and we can see it that way. So you don't have to hold it as, as right or wrong or bad or good, but to have your eyes open. What's, what's actually... Can, can we stay in that state of of enough from David White enough these words are enough if not these words this breath if not this breath this sitting here this opening to life we have refused again and again until now until now from the Tao Te Ching. To know what is enough is true wealth. But we, we don't, um, this is not our habit. Our habit is to be uh, caught up in that, in that trance of greed, that trance of believing that the, uh, only because of a, the, as I call it, the proximity of our observation. We just don't really look that carefully, that closely. What is the fruit of the action of being caught up in the wanting mind, in associating our happiness with having the next thing? 
We don't realize that the pleasure that comes from that is quite fleeting. It comes, it goes, and in its wake is a feeling of loss, is a feeling of sadness like my daughter Molly felt. And what do we do ordinarily when we have that moment of sadness? We prevent ourselves from feeling it. We just generate a new desire. So what we, so the Dharma invites us to look at that. Look at the, look what the fruit of our actions are. Look, look at the karma. Look at what seed you're planting. Are you planting the seed of more contentment or more dissatisfaction? When you get caught up, when you have that misplaced faith in, in sense pleasures, because it's not just pleasurable. The time spent uh, getting to the, to the mall, the time spent shopping, the time spent whatever it is, that whole time tends to be spent in a state of tension, a state of suspended happiness. All the time that we spend planning our, our vacations even, our times often where our whole organism is blocking life. And the, the whole drama of that keeps building that sense of me. Building that sense of me who exists somehow independently apart from life, who's got to blaze my way through it and get everything I can, feed the wanting mind. And this is associated with having a meaningful, fun, pleasurable life. But not realizing that, uh, that an enormous amount of energy is actually blocking the effulgent life that is right here prior to your breath. Prior to... That needs... That that's rests on nothing. It is completely unconditioned. Your true happiness as... As Sri Nisargadatta put it, if I can find Sri Nisargadatta this evening, he says, as long as we believe that we need things to make us happy, we shall also believe that in their absence we must be miserable. Mind shapes itself according to its beliefs. Pleasure is a distraction for it merely increases the false conviction that one needs to have and do things to be happy, when in reality it's just the opposite. Real happiness is best expressed negatively as, there's nothing wrong with me. I have nothing to worry about. Try that on for a few moments. There is nothing wrong with me. I have nothing to worry about. After all, the ultimate purpose of practice is to reach a point where this conviction, instead of being only verbal, is based on actual, ever-present experience. Which experience? The experience of being empty, open, uncluttered by memories and expectations. 
It is like the happiness of open spaces, of being young, of having all the time and energy for doing things, for discovery, for adventure. Your true home is in emptiness, the emptiness of all content. True happiness has no cause, and what has no cause is immovable. What is independent, uncreated, timeless, and changeless, and yet ever new and fresh, is beyond the mind. When the mind thinks of it, the mind dissolves and only happiness remains. So to know what is enough is true wealth. This is from M.S. Merwin. Listen. With the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water thanking it standing by the windows looking out in our, in our directions, back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging after funerals, we are saying thank you. After news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on the stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you. In the faces of the officials and the rich and of all who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, taking our feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forest falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying thank you. Faster and faster, with nobody listening, we are saying thank you. Thank you, we are saying, and waving dark though it is. So it's not just... being in a state of blank nothingness. It's just seizing life right where it touches us and not waiting, not waiting till Black Friday to be happy. Remember, I think I shared a line the other night from Sri Nisargadatta where he said, all search for happiness is misery and leads to more misery. The only happiness worth that name is being conscious. Thank you. So I guess I'll just keep on with the theme of saying thank you and stopping and hopefully 
encouraging in a, a perpetual thanksgiving. Not having it be just a day, but every moment. But we start with Tuesday night, stopping, keeping quiet, looking within. As Pablo Neruda suggests, we should do this a lot. He says, now we will count to 12, and we'll all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would be together in a sudden strangeness. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us, as when everything seems dead in winter and later proves to be alive, proves to be alive. Now I'll count to twelve, and you keep quiet, and I will go. To study the Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be thankful for all things. An encouragement to spend a little time in nature this weekend. Nature is always a great mirror for our deepest truth. From David Wagner, Stand still. The trees before you and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is a place called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, Here, no two trees are the same to raven, no two branches the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. And those who may not venture toward the forest, once again, little David White, reminding us that this is, nature is right in our, at our own kitchen table. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if, you were, as if you were alone. As if life were a progressive cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of, the familiar, of familiarity, 
The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. So to me, this is the thanks that is available uh, every moment. And we do that by not adding something to our nature, but by simply being being aware and not keeping life at bay. Letting it touch us, letting, as my daughter Molly did, letting herself feel sad. That's, that's, the, that's the secret, it's the open secret that the cure for pain is in the pain. That the way out is in. The way out is not out. So we, instead of toppling forward into the next moment, obsessed with what's next, we As my teacher Joseph Goldstein put it, we settle back into the moment. And then we, as we did during the instructions, we unfurl our hearts and minds. We take everything in. Complete receptivity. And our nature is big enough, like the sky, impartial enough to to remain balanced in the face of everything. That's what we learn. We learn how to how to sit in the middle of it all. And it doesn't necessarily solve all our problems, but it, uh, it stops, the, stops the running. We stop running from this moment by running after. So I guess we have a few minutes for anyone who wants to say anything about Thanksgiving or anything that was said up to this point. Um, Black Friday. Isn't that a strange name? Please. The Hungry Ghost. I want to get out of, a lot out of life, yes. It's a great question. Yes, what about being in life instead of I want to get a lot out of life? Yeah, that, the, the I want to get a lot out of life is often... A, I think there is a lust for life that is inherent in our being, um, but the but I want to get a lot of life is when that when that just joie de vivre that lust for life turns into greed. It turns into a state of uh, it comes from a, often a state of of dissatisfaction, uh, and so we have to listen in our own mind. Is is my is wanting to squeeze a lot out of life? Is it just out of our love? Or is it, is it out of a feeling of, of not enough? What's the engine driving our, 
our actions. So what's driving you this Black Friday? Is it, is it um, wanting to get the best deal for your presence? Or are you wanting to get... What is it? Maybe, maybe none of this is relevant to you. Maybe you're all just perfectly at ease and content and... I see you that way. Please, Marissa. I feel really good and I feel really present. Simultaneously good and present and sad. Yeah. To be happy is to. Yes, being happy is letting go of being sad, and that's and that's uh, and letting go of being sad is sad. At the same time, At the same time. I, I hear what you're saying. The way I would frame it is that when our mind opens, when we're present. And when you're feeling the happiness of being present, an open mind is an open heart. And when our heart opens, when it's been closed, it often, as, uh, as Trungpa Rinpoche said, that's the beginning of true warriorship. The, the true warrior is somebody that experiences the tenderness of the heart. And the first sign of warriorship is that you feel sad. First sign that your heart is opened. So that it often comes with being really present and open often comes with our eyes producing a tear and feeling sad and maybe even feeling sad, as you say, for having let go of the, that strong identity with sadness that we've carried around. Yeah. Appreciate it. So you're, you're beginning to be a warrior. Sadness is beautiful when it's felt. When, it's, when we build an identity around it, it's a real drag. I'm sad. I'm so sad. I'm always sad. Life isn't going the way I thought it should. It's all about me. Everyone else is enlightened and having fun. Abundant, partnered, free, divorced, but I'm, I'm stuck. <laughs> Whatever it is that... <laughs> anyway, this is all the way, all that identity view is what keeps life out, keeps that presence out. And of course you're going to just cry when your heart finally relaxes a little bit. Notice the reaching to hold on to it. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful, thank you. Says she notices it, she stops clinging. She's awake. Nothing to do or undo. Clinging is just another thing to, 
to let self-liberate. Thank you. Please, Noemi, you have the last word. I bow at your lotus. What if you want nothing? And I say, I bow at your lotus feet. <laughs> you are. And is that enough? Not wanting nothing. You tell me. The question is: Is that enough? Just wanting nothing. You're the authority. I'm certainly not. See, that's for us, each of us, to resolve. Is our wanting nothing, is it just being depressed? Or is it, or is it real contentment? That's, that's our own inquiry. That's what I'm with. Yes. Yeah, but I, I don't get depressed with you. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not talking about me. I'm, <laughs> I've been living in California too long. I don't get depressed. <laughs> no, I, I don't have the sense that just what little I know of you, I don't, you don't, I don't get the feeling that you're depressed. <laughs> I think we all get a little depressed this time of year when the weather changes. But um, <laughs> she's ready to hibernate. You sound like a Buddha in drag. How come every time I see you, you say I'm okay? And the master said, because I'm okay. Even on a good day, I'm okay. On a bad day. On a good day, I'm okay. On a bad day, I'm okay. Equanimity. That's right. And I, it sounds like equanimity to me. So, th- so then your job is to notice doubt as doubt. Because it's very easy for our mind to come up with, especially when you start to feel free. That can't be me. <laughs> that doesn't fit my MO. So that's, oh, doubt's like this. So try to enjoy all that. Try to even enjoy the question. Don't have to make a conclusion. I'm depressed. I'm content. Okay. Don't know. Don't know. Remember the Zen master Sansanim? Keep a mind. Keep the don't know mind. Do everything with a mind that doesn't know. You think you know, you don't know. Keep don't know mind. Otherwise, I hit you. (laughs) Anyway, I think we'll give thanks to the fact that it's almost bedtime and that we've had the I, to me anyway we've had the good fortune of being together and I feel very blessed and thankful for being able to sit with you being able to remind myself of the
of the Holy Dharma, uh, just the simple truth of our of our existence, the simple truth that if I act with greed in my mind, I feel I become unhappy. Hatred in my mind, I become happy. When I'm more, when I'm present, open-minded, open-hearted, uh, I'm happy. And that it's not what's happening in my life, it's whether I'm meeting it with greed, hatred, or ignorance, or the absence of those that determines whether, uh, whether I'm happy. And that, um, that our hearts and minds are trainable, and that uh, we can incline toward goodness, toward goodwill, toward wakefulness, and that we have... Uh, no matter how dark it gets, we have within us an invincible um, spirit. Where, as Camus put it, in the midst of winter, I realized that there was within me an invincible summer. And that is the most simple uh, nature of awareness, the nature of mind, is already free. And so don't, don't leave home. And continually, if you can remember, to give thanks to your steps, to your bites, to your to the sounds, to the smells, to the taste, everything. And uh, but and thank you for um, for listening. So let's just for one more moment just consider quietly the fruits, the benefits, the blessings, the goodness that has arisen from our practice together. And then gather it all together and, and let it fly with a, a blessing radiated toward all beings in all circumstances. Beings who are giving thanks, the beings who are not able to give thanks. Beings who are in happy circumstances and who are in really unhappy circumstances. Let the blessings of our life and our practice touch the hearts of all beings everywhere, without exception. And let all beings, as a fruit of our practice, know happiness and peace, and the causes of happiness and peace increasing. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings without exception, know the sacred happiness that is free of sorrow here and now and not lift out of this moment to find relief. And may all beings at least grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows, the depression and the contentment praise and blame, gain and loss with less reactivity. A deep wish that our practice today and every day uh, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated, come out of confusion. May all beings be free. people have been here before so you know about our room rental and all the possibilities of being able to support us, being able to continue to be here. Uh, 
So all that is deeply appreciated. The evening at Mission Dharma, the checks to the church that with Mission Dharma on the memo line, the cash, the PayPal, and the and also that any teaching that's offered here is given freely according to the system of dana that's gone back 2,500 years. But those who have shared teachings have depended on those who receive them for their uh, requisites, for their support. So the basket is there for room rental support, teacher support. There's two baskets, one by the door, one here. And thank you in advance for any of your generosity. And thanks for your presence. And have a great Thanksgiving. Nice being with you. Thank you. Yeah.